Hello again. Yes, I've I've had a little listen to what I I gave to you earlier, and um, there's a few things that we we need to work through the way I say things. I need to deconstruct the language a little bit more. I keep talking about a universe. I keep talking about a material universe that we've got a physical body. What the these issues are are basically the way we talk uh, because we have a physical experience let's say um, and we we use a terminology even reality when we use the word reality reality is always going to move gravitationally to a tangible possibility what a idealist is doing, what a philosopher is also doing is, is holding, moving their reality, moving that reality up. They're resisting gravity for a reality. They're moving it to a more subtle internal mechanism which is more causal. So therefore when they, if they can do that, give you, grant you that conception of reality, they are giving you the real instructions, okay, the real instructions which are knowledge that is the instruction manual for material nature. So there was a philosopher called Derrida who was a deconstructionist. Now I didn't like Derrida a great deal myself, I didn't like reading him either, but he was right but he wasn't able to do the things he was right about, necessarily. But he was right that we have to deconstruct the language if we're going to understand it. We have to be able to understand the context in which I'm speaking and how that necessarily taints all the things I'm saying to deliver a conception and if we don't have a clear understanding of the context and we can't deconstruct the language and deconstruct the way we talk about things, then we'll always be saying, yeah, well, that's reality, isn't it? No, well, that's, that's just reality. Where's the real world? Well, of course we're going to say the real world and when we mean a real thing is a tangible thing, yes, of course, that is what we're going to end up with. We're bound in semantics really and that semantics is another philosophical problem that we have to solve we have to really get to the bottom of semantics and tear it apart you know because for a philosopher the one thing you need to tear apart is semantics you need to be able to go all right here is my system by which you will understand the context of which each and every word even if it is the same word with a different meaning because i might say this is a man of substance. Now, that may mean that this man has a physical substance or an ethical substance. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the word isn't useful. All it means is we need to tie that word to those facets of our experience that we entertain on a daily basis constantly every microsecond, every day, every night, but every moment, because we are 
inevitably moving, we have to be moving our attention internally, externally, internally, externally, internally, externally. That's a system by which we are making reference to the world, gaining information, converting that information into an abstract, <coughs> deciding upon the abstract, and then deductively adding content to what is a body of knowledge that is a mind and acting upon that with a, as a physical being. Now, that is a, a system that we have in place already. And ultimately, here's your theory of mind that has to come through. Because the things that I have to do are to, to actually not be a, a great big fake, which is what you would usually find it with someone who's got calling themselves a philosopher king, who I'm not necessarily calling my philosophy myself a philosopher king. I am a figure who is coming out in that has some dominion over this realm that you haven't seen before. You wouldn't have you won't be able to read a book that will tell you the things that I'm telling you. You won't be able to understand these things unless you're very insightful towards deciphering scriptures. But you will be transported by by access to myself to physical philosophical enlightenment which isn't what isn't enlightenment per se philosophical enlightenment is someone giving you a book of instructions on how to ride a bicycle now if you're going to ride a bicycle, those book of instructions may be helpful. Yes, surely they will be because they'll contain the laws of physics and general principles on how to stay upright. But when you when you have the instructions, it it's not going to make you win the Tour de France, is it? You have to get on that bicycle, use your will, apply, work, okay? And as you work, you're, you're actually performing an austerity. You're not being an enjoyer. You're not being asleep. You're being a worker. You're being a, a, a person who is engaged, renouncing various lower-grade pleasures in order to attain a freedom that you get by gaining a knowledge. Now, here we go again. We, when I say knowledge, I just said, no, knowledge is like the abstract. Okay, knowledge is another word that we need to explain in context. I say, he has a knowledge of how to ride a bike. Does he have the instruction manual? Or does he have the ability to ride a bike? Because applied abstract knowledge is knowledge. It, in the sense of the word, the, the truth sense, the more authentic knowledge is not just the library that you might find the world's knowledge on, but the application of that knowledge that, that builds a building or 
understands a thing and is able to authentically grant the ability that we seek. Now that that is what the processes we are going through is that the universities are are basically abstractions, creations, devices with some practical applications and those practical applications are are then applied out into the world. The next thing we've got mobile phones, the next thing we've got cars, the next thing we've got anything that we can think of was initially conceived of and then created into some sort of abstract sense of engineering or whatever concepts we were needed to require to do it and then here it is. Because an industrialist of some sort built a factory, did that. Now, as I am definitely having to deal with semantics here, um, for your sake as well as mine, I need to, to, to give you a system where you might understand semantics. So what I'm doing to make this easier for us, because when I say a metaphor, when I'm giving you metaphors, I'm not really actually giving you metaphors. They seem to be metaphors. What they are is actual systems. They're systems within systems, and, and I'm saying these seem like metaphors because they represent the same basic, the same fundamental set of principles, but they are the same fundamental set of principles. So that is how a set of principles applies to every system that you might know of. And they come as metaphors. You're able to understand each system with the system that you know already because that is what a system of all systems, a set of all sets or a philosophical truth or a theory of everything which it should be is. It's something that you can use without having to reinvent and decontextualize and recontextualize every particular atomic different thing and have the differences which actually what we are doing is building a structure and if we are going to build a structure we need to make that structure sound now if you are a physicist building your structure you're not going to make it sound that's as simple as that you'll try and to do that you're going to extend yourself out into pure knowledge by mathematics and that's as close as you're going to get to get to your system such that it has a structure that allows for all these predictions but you're not going to make ethical predictions necessarily are you you're not going to explain god and what we have is these badly engineered structures that tend to topple and fall over or don't actually deliver what they're supposed to deliver in, in the eventual sense. Now, your knowledge is always supposed to deliver you some degree of freedom. But the problem with knowledge is it's an enabling, an enabler. So anything that you're enabled to create, you're also give it, you're get granted a potency by your effort by your insight, okay? But then you've also got this 
destruction. So human beings understand this. Okay, we, we, we don't hand out the instructions on how to make hydrogen bombs. We don't hand out the instructions on how to make various forms of knowledge that are destructive. But as we become more potent, we are we can look at it like much like although it's a very overused analogy we've had this pandemic for instance okay so we had a pandemic and we've got these curves whereas this virus which is wanting a freedom over us in our bodies has is having its way with us and as it has its potency it comes in a curve whereas we and we all get a cold we all get sick some people die a lot of people die and then somehow our bodies grapple with that and in this case we've used our knowledge as well as an advantage creative advantage and we grapple with that physical freedom seeker the virus in this case and then we bend that curve and then that virus is tamed so to speak with human beings we are having the same relationship with the planet yeah we we've used our creative abilities to extend our freedom such that we are doing what we want whatever we want but to the earth we represent something that needs to be contained lest we destroy it okay now we may well be a fatal issue if we're not you know, we're not na natural systems are contained within themselves. They contain themselves eventually in time. They play out in time. The reason we aren't contained is because we've added the freedom that is our own creation. That is knowledge. Okay, we've u we've changed from evolution to creation, and we, with that, we continue to stay ahead, and we use our creative ability to continue to find new layers and levels of knowledge which grant us this foresight but as we do that we're empowering ourselves and that potency makes every individual more able to cause the destruction and so we have this issue where we have powerful individuals who might wish to cause a great deal of destruction and, and quite often do these this might be that one person with one finger can set off an atomic war. But there are other things. Like we invented a bulldozer, whereas once a man had an axe. What, before he had an axe, he had a stone axe. And before he had a stone axe, he had no chance of moving a tree, except with fire, perhaps. So the, the bulldozer is an invention of ours. It's a knowledge, but it also has its destructive potential and that's the general principle which we're dealing with here so as you go out into this world trying to understand all these systems and trying to understand man and cause and effect and how we're going to progress what the future holds for us you're in need of elegance because otherwise you've got such a confusing array of different ideas that you're flipping from one to the other all the time. Whereas a unifier such as myself is in various 
degrees unifying the principles for you and creating a a more simple, a more elegant. He's pursuing the differences in the system, like a scientist might be looking at frogs and saying they're all frogs. They're all because you want to know about them, they're all little green creatures that hop around, but they're all different. And each one of those different species of frogs is different in itself. Are we going to talk about each individual frog, or are we going to say, look, frogs are usually green, some are purple, whatever. These are amphibians, okay? That's a bigger group of ideas that amphibians evolved at such and such a point when they came... Etc. So you can make sense of things by placing them into grander categories where you can understand themes that play out, causing differences. And all our words essentially are categories. They're all samenesses, and the differences is uniqueness in the world. That at any moment in time, any spot, any position, any point in, in the field is unique in itself. And we're trying to tame that with knowledge. We're trying to find the laws. Because what the laws are, are the cause of that. And the cause is the internal reference, instructions, for which we gain autonomy by understanding. And so anyone with this type of understanding is basically valuable to the world and could be valuable to you personally if they are the right type of instructions because you don't just want instructions on the world you want instru- the soul has to be included because that is a benefit cost benefit analysis you can't expect to be gaining something that is subject to destruction and create endless happiness via that process Sure, you can make short-term material gains with the knowledge, not the worldly knowledge. But we aren't talking about that. We're talking about a longer-term, a real freedom. Because there are different types of people. There are different types of men. There's this three fundamental formats that come about because we are seeking ethical sensibilities, we're seeking sensible sensibilities, which is just sensibility itself. We're, we're seeking sensory sensibilities, we're seeking to understand what we are looking at, what we are thinking of, and what we are feeling inside. And the pursuit of those is a ultimately a sense of preservation, creation, and destruction that we are observing and we are all in, in every sense of the word we we be we we apply renunciation to to the for the preservation we we apply enjoyment we become enjoyers because of the what we wish to create and we become sick we become degraded from the fault that has its effect from our creation being bound into the laws of nature and temporary, such as they degrade in time, turn, we die, etc. We 
we experience suffering because of that process. And essentially that is a cycle that revolves around what? What does that revolve around? That revolves around life. We're being held in life. This field is is a movement or motion around life where we, in our, uh, for various reasons, that might be our, our ego, that might be our desire, that might be our ignorance, we are seeking outward what we think is real, what we, where we think the value is, and the field is going, oh, I'm not really going to give you that, sorry. Okay, now it's great that the field doesn't give us that because we don't know what it would be, what we could do with that, what would happen if we got the thing we wanted. So the field is resisting centrifugally the, our efforts and those resistances are us in our, in our lives uh, our movement, in one way, causes an opposite reaction the other, and we, we get this instability. That ment- mental illness is that sensibility where we have these opposite ideas and we indulge this and we get this. this. Okay, so these uh, come from an insecurity that we have in it. Which is basically an anxiety that we need to deal with. So essentially, a philosopher is really a psychologist, a someone with a a theory of mind. Which is one of the things I'm doing here is to grant you insight into your own mind because you will find ways in which to grasp and control the mind, of course, because. If not, what would be the point of this? We, we, but we, in order to do all these things, there are so many different layers and different attentions to detail that we need to apply. We need to deconstruct every idea that I mentioned, and remember that each context that we're talking about is relevant to that context. Now, I've given you a metaphor, which is the day and the night. And I just actually gave you another metaphor there. They aren't metaphors, they're actual systems. What they are, that your attention, you're moving your mind out and in because you have to do that. You're getting information, you're turning it into abstract, you're making a decision, someone's making a decision, it's coming out, it's got deductive reasoning connected to it because you're, you're considering it as one thing and not another. Okay, so this is a question answer, question answer, question answer. Okay, the mind comes in, the objective body of knowledge and fits in like as the program. You're a programmer at every moment, you're reprogramming. The decider keeps going, I decide, I decide. Whether or not you in that cycle come close into the ethical, how deep you dive ultimately makes you an empathist or a sociopath. The sociopath doesn't dive deep enough and doesn't feel informed by his ethic. And that is sociopathic. That is, narcissism is 
the ego, the subject, and its vanity all bound into the same sociopathy. There's reasons why we shouldn't be that, think that way, do those things, and the reasons are they don't help other people. They're there for our own vanity. Okay, so I'll just give you another little metaphor. I want you to think about that. As you look at the world, have a look around. Have a look at it. And I want you to have a little thought experiment, and that is to, at night, walk around and with the lights off and see, don't hurt yourself, but see if you can know of anything without identity. I want you to try and know of a thing you can do this by closing your eyes if you like, because each sense that we have gives us access to an identity. We don't know without identity. We can't know without identity. Okay, so how we know is identity. It's not the senses. The senses are merely information coming from the world. They're, they're relating to the world. The objects of the senses are the world. The mind is a sensibility. The sentience is a controller of this, the decider. That's what we consider ourselves to be. That's why we say we have a mind, we have a body. These are our possessions. We're the proprietor of these are the proprietary possibilities that extend in causal and subtle, like personal levels. Anyway, I'm going to uh, finish up there. Just thought I'd throw that in for keep this rolling on. I will get back to you. Hare Krishna.